He's already been dead and it's messed with his head. It's John's post-life crisis. Welcome to John's post-life crisis. This is John Johnston, founder of cornnation.com, your site of Nebraska Cornhusker sports news and trying desperately to stay interesting during this bloody pandemic that we're still in. That's a, that's not a very uplifting start. Today I'm joined by Sean Connolly, author of the book, The Point After, How One Resilient Kicker Learned There Was More to Life Than the NFL, which, is there more to life than the NFL? I mean, this book, you, you spent a good majority of this book trying to get into the NFL you pay, played very little football in college or in high school, and then you barely kind of played in college, and yet you still got into the NFL. Talk about your book. Tell us about your book, but not so much you give it away, and people still have to buy it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me, John. Um, yeah, that's a that's a great question. Yeah, you know, the, the, there's a few reasons why I, I wrote the book. One of them was. You know, there, you know, a lot of the, the sports books out there are typically about like your Tom Brady's and, you know, your Michael Jordan's who have very successful careers, but there's very few books about what most professional athletes go through. Like the, the, the average length of an NFL career is, is 2.3 years, I believe is the latest statistic I've seen. So most of the players, when we look on the sidelines, there's 45 NFL players or whatever the number is today you know, 80% of those guys are going to be gone in a couple of years. And, and so I just want to share the story about what it's like about being a player who's always thinking that, you know, that, that my next play or my next kick or the next time I, 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 I walk into the locker room, like, like, like that's it. And it was also, um, you know, just to, to share a story of where, um, where, for a big part of my life, you know, almost 20 years where I thought the only thing that I, that would make me happy would be being a professional football player and then dealing with what it's like, you know, when my career ends, not on my own terms, which we see all the time, like, especially right now, like even like in the Steelers with Ben Roethlisberger and all these players and, you know, people try to, these players, we, we have no idea what's going on in their head. And for me, that, that, that was what I suffered from thinking like I was, I was scared. I was, I was very fearful about what's next because I never planned for it or really even gave it much thought other than playing football. Well, I mean, is that, is that pretty common? I mean, yeah, I think it's when you look at the dedication that goes into just playing in high in college at the division one level, there's an amazing amount of work. And I'd have to say that, honestly, most people really don't care, but they don't have a lot of insight into it either. And then to get to the next level of the NFL, there's an insane amount of work that goes into that. So, I mean, do most people even have time to structure a plan? If what if this doesn't work? Plan B is uh, I not there's normally is there a plan B for most of these guys? No, there really isn't. And, you know, when the little time that I did spend in the NFL, it, it, it wasn't like there was any sort of programs or, you know, where there would be a meeting, you know, just, you know, just to like, you know, like about play, future planning. It's just not what it's about. And even if there was, you know, most players, I can't imagine would even pay attention to that because for them, they just, they couldn't see beyond, you know, what was next, what was in front of them, what they'd worked so hard many years to, 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 to accomplish. Yeah, I, I I have another podcast where I interview one of our former Nebraska linemen, and one of the things that strikes me is that 
you know, when you go from high school to college, you're like, I'm the guy there shouldn't, mm -hmm. I should start because I am the guy. And then right. you, I can imagine when you go from college to the NFL, you're still thinking, you know, I was really good enough in college because if you're, if you're drafted or an even undrafted free agent to go into the NFL, you're probably one of the premier players in college. And so there's still that attitude of I'm the guy and I should be the starter and there's no reason this shouldn't work. But then when you get there, it's, it's again, it's another level above college and the, the pressure and the stress and the, and the, and honestly, let's face it. I, nobody likes to be in the position where I'm the guy for a long time and then suddenly find out with a big cold slap in the face that you're not the guy and you know, tough shit, get out of here, go do something else. That's gotta be, I don't know, a blow to your ego and your lifestyle and everything. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember when I was my first training camp with the Detroit Lions and I was just, you know, as, as a kicker, you have a lot of time to be a like a fan of just just watching. But I just remember watching, you know, the, the, um, you know, the players and and you can't from from my view, I couldn't even tell the difference what was going on. Like, how would I decide like this guy makes a team and this doesn't. But like, you know, I know the play that the, the position coaches do, but it's just the, the difference between making the team and not was was so slim. And you know, when I, when I saw these guys that were signed, like these were all Americans or all conference, but like, as you mentioned, like now, like they go from being the guy, but now they're surrounded by everyone else who was all the guy, wherever they came from in D1 or D2. Yeah. So I want to stick with this a little bit because, you know, when I watch the, and I watch more NFL football than I have probably in my life this year, just because of the pandemic and it was a reason for my family to get together. But, you know, when they come out with these stories about, you know, I don't know, Jim Smith, he's been with the NFL for 10 years. Now he has to figure out life after football. I don't have a lot of sympathy for him. Hmm. And maybe that's, I don't know, maybe that's a little blunt and a little mean, but the NFL really kind of looks at their players like it's a meat market and it's mm -hmm. really kind of a, you know, next man up gladiator type sport. Is that a good impression? And yeah, why no, should I feel sorry for him? Yeah, <laughs> it's a very valid question. I and I used to feel the same way. Like you know, you know, like when I was in college and watching the NFL athletes, and you know, they retire and like, oh, like you know, you know, like you know, he has all this money, he should be happy. And and you know, I I, I still think about this a lot when I when I see the news come by about players, and I'll see like some of the Twitter comments where like there's support for the player, and then there's not. And I think what it comes down to is is more of a a, a mental health issue where these players um you know they've they're they they believe that their identity is 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 a football player and then when that's taken away from them i think it just it becomes uh so overwhelming for them like they're they're of, of the fear of the unknown and so for them it's not the money they, they could you know they, they they're not so concerned about how much money they have and how that'll you know make them happy it's just they are just they're like wow i'm, I'm 27 years old and i don't know what the, i'm gonna do with the rest of my life and i think that's why they you see these players hang on and hang on it's it's not to, to make more money or you know to be able to you know retire and, and to, to, to do something new but they just don't know what that new thing is and I think very few players are have that maturity um, or that foresight when I was with the Detroit Lions um, uh, Barry Sanders was 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 there and one night I was I was out 
partying and in London, we were playing the Dallas Cowboys in an exhibition game. And um, I strolled back into the, to the lobby at like 2, 3 a.m. And there's Barry Sanders reading a book and it was clear he hadn't gone on. And we had a little conversation. I was telling him, you know, I was worried about like, hey, I'm going to get cut, then what? And he he was very blunt with me. And he, he said, this is kind of how I came up with the title of the book. He said that there's, don't forget that there's more to life than the NFL, which I thought was, you know, it, it, it didn't really impact me at the time because I was still gung ho on, on making catching on with the team. But what I thought was really interesting was, was years later, not too many years later that he retired and he actually retired super early. And not only did he retire super early, he could have easily been the all time NFL rushing leader, but he could care less. So for some, somewhere along the road, he'd already decided, you know, this is, you know, I'm not here to accomplish these big numbers and make all this money when it's time for me to leave. I'm going to, I'm going to leave. Well, did Detroit do that to him? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's, (laughs) that's another possibility as well. (laughs) I mean, he could have, yeah, he could have, he was the most, uh, probably the most fun football player to watch that I remember in history. He would lose two yards on one play and the next, next play he'd, he'd he'd run for 42. (laughs) Yeah. So have you talked to other NFL players that have a hard time letting go of things or what it's like to end their careers and, I guess what I'm asking is, do you provide free counseling? <laughs> you know, I, I, my access these days in terms of like pro athletes, I don't keep in too much communication with them. It's uh, more uh, college athletes. I'm, I'm pretty close to the, the pit football program. And so I see, I see them through different, different, different modes. Actually, some of them come to our, our, our yoga studio. Um, and so I have conversations with them, with them about, about that. Um, and, Luckily, there seems like there's 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 more of a shift. I know at the University of Pittsburgh they give a lot more life skills, but I think where the breakdown is is in the professional, where you know, like you said, it's it's more of like a meat market, and their concern is not afterwards. You know, college it's different. You know, they want this to, you know the, their program to be a place where you know you can succeed or whatever beyond the sports. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, yeah, not not too much communication with uh, other pros. Okay, at one point in the book, we find out, or you find out, uh, that your hip flexor muscle is like shot or hmm. been destroyed. Tell us a little bit yeah. about that, yeah. because my impression is, well, your muscle is gone from overuse is what you're told. Exactly. I, yeah. I, I always thought, you know, you exercise muscles, they get stronger. They don't just go away. <laughs> what, what happened there? What yeah. And I, I probably thought the same thing too when I w- w- would train. What w- w- basically happened is like when I would train, I, I always trained quantity over quality. Well, not, not always, but for the big bulk of my career. So um, sometimes I would just take like a like a notepad and I, I wouldn't stop kicking that day till I hit like 100 or 50 or whatever the, my, my goal for the day was. And what was happening, I was doing the same thing over and over again. And unfortunately kicking, this is like, I guess you could say similar to like a golfer, or like where golfers get back issues is, is kicking is, a, is an unnatural um, motion. So the, 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 the stress that I put in my body with like the quick whip, uh, uh, whip of the hips, it puts a lot of strain on the, on the low back and the hips that over time, if I keep doing that, it's going to wear out. And if I would have paced myself, cause now like every once in a while, I'll, I'll do some kicking camps with, with, with 
kids. Um, sometimes I'll get texts from friends who are high school coaches and they, they want some consultation on their kickers. I always tell them the first thing I tell them is, is, is like, what is your training regimen? And it's usually, you know, they're kicking 50 balls a day. And that's the first thing I go with is just, just 20 balls. But I understand as kickers, it's really hard because it doesn't take very long to kick 20 field goals when you're practicing, you could be done in like a half an hour. And that seems like such a short workout, but that's really all the body can take. If you add up all, all your repetitions, you know, it's like a car, you're eventually like how hard you, if you drive, it's eventually going to run out. And that's, that's essentially what would happen to me. And, you know, a lot of letter athletes would they do repetitive use? Cause I gave no breaks. It was just go, 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 go. Yeah, that seems like, I mean, you see a lot of stories about kids playing year-round sports or specialized yep. in the sport and and really kind of, I you know, they're worn out by 20 or, or a other common story, or it's too common, I guess, is uh, like young women who have played so much soccer by the time yep. they get into college soccer and they're, they get depression because they're just sick of it. So, I mean, if you had to tell them something, what would you say? You know, yeah. have this pressure at the same time to to succeed, to get a scholarship, to stay on a team at a high level. But at the same time, it's do you know a coach out there that will go, yeah, you take a break. <laughs> you know what? You should rest. Maybe you should uh, do some yoga. We'll get into that in a bit. Right, but, right. I mean, what do you tell people like that or do you ever run into them? Yeah, there's not that many coaches like that. Yeah, well, th- th- one thing that's fascinating about like 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 I never knew who the book would uh, would appeal to, but a lot of the um, uh, uh, the interest in the book has come from like people my age, like in their 40s, 50s, who've read the book and then giving it to their kids, who's like an aspiring high school or college athlete, who who is in that world now because you know when I grew up you know, you played multiple sports. That's just, that's just, that's just how it was. And, you know, and if it wasn't for my, you know, kicking, 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 I, I would have had a longer career, but um, nowadays, as you know, like they, 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 it's year round and not only are players, their bodies wearing out by the time they go to college, but also their minds are like my daughter who played um, field hockey and she, who played like a division three school in Ohio, there was kids that she went to high school with that were amazing players that could have got division one scholarships. And they actually turned them down because they were done. You know, they're done driving all over the East coast to all these tournaments since age eight and their spirit, it was, it was done. Their heart wasn't in it anymore. And so, so there's, there's the, like you said, like the depression, like they were, they're just done with the sport. And which is crazy. They'd be done with the sport. Like at 18, I, I just have a hard time, you know, believe in that, but unless it's been pushed by the parents and, you know, it's too much. And then, and with, with the, this, you know, the, the not multi-sport thing um, I know here at the university of Pittsburgh, um, you know, coach Narduzzi, Pat Narduzzi, he just, he tweeted out after the, um, the signing class this year. And he, he seems to do this every year. And he said, every single player that they signed was a, at least a two sport athlete. And he's been trying to, he's been pushing that as well. And there's a lot of coaches trying to push, like, don't just play football. Like that's, that that's not going to get you that far in the long run, play basketball, baseball, whatever it is. So you're not only becoming a better athlete, but you're resting those football muscles that you're using over and over again and becoming a more well-rounded athlete and also not getting burned out as well mentally. Okay. When I finished the book, I, I looked at it and I thought, what, what really is my hardest impression about this book? And my, <laughs> my initial impression is you married the most forgiving, <laughs> patient person on this planet because the book details you going from here to there to there to there to there to there for kick workouts or jobs that were 
really honestly, and I don't mean to be insulting, but really kind of crappy jobs. Uh, <laughs> I don't mean, I don't want you to talk wholesale about your wife, but how did you manage this? You're not that good looking, dude. <laughs> no, absolutely. No, I, I ask myself that every day. Um, she is someone who's just very adventurous. And at the time, she was just 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 wanted to go along for the ride because she's just, you know, someone who is like that, who just thinks big. And I got very lucky with her. Um, because my whole idea of walking on a division one school was what, what didn't seem to make any sense. I, I didn't tell very many people, but when we were friends way back in high school, she was the one of the few people, um, that I was, that I told her actually it was college. I, I told her because that's just how she thinks. She just, she just thinks big, um, about just like taking chances, not living with regrets. So, um, but yeah, she was super patient with the whole thing where eventually she gave up on, on the patience is when my body was, was done. And then she was just like, like, you, you got to stop this because not only are you like, are you hurting your body, but like, you're just like, you're, she didn't like to see myself like like so down and depressed about this. But then that was also a wake up call for me too when she said that because then I started realizing now I'm at the point where I'm becoming. If I keep pushing this NFL dream, I'm now becoming it's it's, it's like selfish. You know, it's just where I'm going to start affecting my family. So that was at the point where I just said I I got I got to move on. So but yeah, very very lucky in that regard. Okay, so the second thing that that impressed me is this: you you had a plan. You were going to be an NFL kicker. A lot of people, when they plan things, it's kind of like, let's say we're going on a trip and I, we all know kind of the dad that has to go, we're going to go here and then three hours right. to this right. and then four hours right. to that. Right. And then day Guilty. two, we're going to, right. is that yeah. you? <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it seems like a lot of your life was just, you fell into things. Yeah. And yeah. There's a difference between people who have a plan and it has to go accordingly. Otherwise they, you know, they freak out, they get depressed, they get broken. Uh, they give up, you know, maybe it's more than going on a trip, but you know what I mean? Life plans and things. I expect this to happen and it doesn't. And suddenly, Oh, well the hell with this. No, I don't want to do this anymore. And maybe that goes back to resilience, which is an important word. And maybe part of it is what I'm asking you is this. I talk a lot and sometimes never get the questions. Were you willing to just let things happen? Did you direct them? Did you feel like sometimes things were just breaking or are you one of those people that goes, uh, I'll pray and something will come to me. Yeah. I, th I think it was more where I wanted to like, like the, like, to push the action and to have some some sense of control over what I could what I could do next, and I think because I I, I was always trying to control the situation, there was times when it didn't go my way where I just I went completely down. I would hit bottom. Uh, like so, for example, when I um, first went to the Division three school, Grove City College, where I'd called the coach in the summer, and he said, "Yeah, come on down. You can join the team." And I got there, and like the second or third day of classes, he says, "You know, I don't need a kicker." you know, and that's it. So now my whole plan is, is completely blown up. And so I spent maybe four or five months having a pity party. I, I, I bombed um, in school. I dropped out, um, started drinking a lot, moved back home. And it took me a few months to get out of that cycle where the only thing that really got me out of it was I was, where I was in Erie PA and this is in January and I just started kicking. I started kicking, even though it was a few more months before I could really go outside and kick, but I'd start kicking on the snow and ice. And the kicking was really that got me out of the head to think like, 
you know, just, you just got to keep going. And this was like the first, this was the first of many setbacks. And I think that's where maybe the resilience started to actually be something like that. I could almost build like a muscle because then I would have more setbacks as I went. But the more I realized, like, if you can just, just keep going that, 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 that the setbacks would bother you, bother me less and less. Cause when I first got cut with Detroit, I was, I was pretty down in the dumps, but then the Colts less, the jets would have been less, but that because that was over, and I knew it was over. That one was the worst. But you know, eventually, like any sort of negativity or, or um, you know that I got along my football career would, would would bother me less and less. Okay, at the end of your, let's say your NFL journey, uh, your wife starts doing yoga, and you she does kind of a a class. I'm always kind of at odds at how much of the book I should give away, but what the hell? She starts a class on a whim, basically, right? Pretty much. She was just going to do it, do it for fun, and this was like her, her, you know, her passion, and it was just like, hey, let's see what happens here. Yeah. And then people start joining the class, and then she starts decides to start a yoga studio, mm-hmm. and then she gets pregnant, and then you take over. Yeah, yeah, we we were. This was like the really early days of yoga. So this is around 2000, where yoga was really considered weird and out there still in the, in the U.S. Other than maybe like New York and California, and um, it was just her, and she needed a teacher. What happened was one of the teachers moved out of town, and so she was like a one man show, one woman show. So she needed someone, and she told me I had no choice but to but to start teaching. So. I very reluctantly just, just like the same thing with yoga it took her years to get me involved with yoga, which would have made a difference. I think in my, my, my football career, because she wanted me to start doing it when I was like a rookie, but I was just like, no way. Why would I do that? Cause that was completely unheard of. Um, so, but she was right then. And she was, she was, she was right later. <laughs> okay. I want, I want to focus on this little, for a little bit because, uh, I, I, you mentioned Rodney Yee at one point in the book. Yeah. I have a DVD with Rodney Yee and Mariel Hemingway, which is basic basic stuff, 15 minutes long. And I, I used to do that and have no problems with it. And it felt great. Like three weeks ago, I, I pulled this DVD out and 15 minutes of that, I made it about 10 and it almost killed me. So clearly I need to go to work on something with strength and core and things like that. But yoga and men, am I, we do not mix well, do we? Because whenever I, I look at other guys and I say, well, you have back issues, you should do yoga. They look at me like <sighs> I've said, you should eat salad. You know what I mean? It's the right. same reaction. It's kind of like, what the hell? You, every, anybody could do downward dog. Anybody could do those exercises, but when you really get into them, it's it's um, horrible. It's nasty. Yeah, yeah, it, it's really hard. Well, I, the, the first yoga class I did when I took Karen's class was myself in the back corner and like twenty women. And I remember, you know, the the my biggest challenge. I certainly had like physical challenges, but my biggest challenge was ego. Like you know, like I should be able to do this. You know, like I'm a guy. Like I played professional football. All that other stuff was going through my head. Like pretty much like the whole class, and it was just 
you know, I look back now as like such a waste of time, but I think that's a, the reason why most men won't do yoga is because, you know, they're afraid of like not being good at it or how they'll look or, you know, they, all the, all the excuses come up they're, they're not flexible, which doesn't make any sense. Cause if you're not flexible, maybe you, sh you should do yoga or I'm not strong <laughs> or, or like, so, so, you know, and, and that still happens today. Like at our yoga, yoga studios, it's probably, you know, it's gone from like maybe 1% men to maybe 20%. Which, which I think is pretty good. Um, and I think it's becoming, you know, because more and more men are doing it, it's more accepted. They don't, they don't, but it's still though, usually the, the first time I'll see a man in yoga class, he's usually brought there by, by his girlfriend or, so he's still, there's still a lot of dragging happening into the studio with men, but uh, at least it's growing. But yeah, I, I think it comes down to just, you know, that whole fear of like looking, looking bad, looking goofy. <laughs> Is it because they can't do it or is it because other men see them and go, you should be like throwing logs. Yeah, exactly. Here with your bare hands, you know what Ex I mean? Yeah, it, exactly. That's, that's, that's I, I know. I remember when I was in that one class and all these women were moving through all the poses really easy. They're holding them longer than I could. And it was me like, wow, this is, this is so ridiculous that I, that I can't do this. So yeah, I think it's, it's the whole macho thing, but like, you know, once I was able to set that aside, which took, took, took quite a while. Now, now when I do yoga, I, I really don't do it for physical. I know I'll get some physical benefits out of it, but for me, it's more just to like, you know, I got a pretty, you know, like busy mind. Like a lot of people do, like I do the yoga, just to like move and like have like a, like a, like a mental break and the physical benefits are like an extra. So you, you run a yoga, like shop, a yoga studio. Great. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Under normal times we have like, you know, like, you know, 50 classes a week at the studio and it's mostly power yoga, which is like hot and sweaty. So we're, my wife and I are both, you know, like from my football background, she had a dancer background. So we're more on the, on the intense side. So we teach intense yoga, which that's another thing about yoga, like getting into it. Like there's so many different styles. Like, so sometimes men will, you know, going back to that, like if, like if you go to your first yoga class and it's hot, like ours, maybe that's not what you need. Maybe you need one that's more like more, more chill or the opposite too. Cause a lot of men like that. They, they, they like this kind. So it's always good to like try it out before you, before you nix it. <laughs> okay. Right. Right now we're a year pretty much into this pandemic. You know, at the beginning we said uh, two weeks of lockdown and everything right. will be fine. Here we are a year later. Uh, your yoga studio is closed, correct? Yeah, closed on the inside. We just we just do online stuff, but uh, yeah. And and how are people reacting to that? I mean, are they staying with it, or is it is it getting difficult? Yeah, it, it, it's like first this whole thing went went down in March. It, it did did exceptional, but now we're noticing that it's slowly going down. I think as people are becoming more and more, just kind of I don't know what the word is, but just kind of kind of raising the white flag on this thing. Yeah. Just checked out. And, and, and with, I, I think a lot of us are now waiting for the calendar to turn to March and spring and <laughs> get okay, outside. So far, yeah. I've asked you, let's see, I've asked you about free counseling. I've asked you about your mm -hmm. yoga studio. Now I'm going to ask you, how are we going to be? And this is for me personally. So be my counselor. Uh, I need to get off my butt and start doing that yoga DVD because at some point I hope to still go back out and do sports photography, which means I'm going to be carrying camera gear for hours at a time. And if I did that, like if they called 
and said, tomorrow, John, come and shoot baseball or shoot, I don't know, women's volleyball, it would probably kill me to do that. I mean, not kill like dead, but you know what I mean? I'd ache for weeks because it, it is a strain carrying all that stuff and moving around and getting in positions you're not used to. Uh, what do you say to people who are checked out or like me? I mean, what, what's the pep talk? Yeah, I think, I think it's just, even if you just do like, like five minutes, I, I, you know, I know for me personally, like if I do nothing, that's, that, that's, that, that's not good the whole day. Um, you know, I'm just feeling depressed, but like, um, just to like commit, you know, like, like the day before I'm going to do, you know, 10 minutes of yoga tomorrow. Then, and then the next day I'm going to do 15, the next day I'm going to like go for a walk. I think it's just, it's scheduling it to make sure that like you do it. And also to not really have any sort of hardcore. Um, so I think sometimes we get, we, we make it like, like, like too money, too much expectations. Like if I didn't do, I said I was going to 15 and I ended up only doing 10. Oh man. What, like, what, like what's, what's wrong with me and not worrying about that, but just like do it, like doing something and then, and then building from there where it becomes, becomes more more of a habit but i think even like with yoga like you know a lot of times people think like you have to do like an hour an hour and a half of yoga but even just 20 minutes is enough just to move your body and and, and to have some benefits flexibility because mm-hmm. we're all been sitting a lot i know that it's easy for me to get up and move into the other room and play video games for an hour and for some reason i can't motivate myself to do that <laughs> dvd but Let's go back to the book for one more question. Uh, have you had much reaction to the book? I mean, you, yeah. mentioned, you mentioned earlier that people are giving it to their kids or coaches are giving it to kids about burnout. But have you had what other reaction in the end? Yeah, you know, the, the, the biggest reaction I think has been just from uh, where I've been shocked is, 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 is younger people who have really liked it. But also, um, I've also received a lot of um, uh, uh uh, interest from like, like, like people who are like former dancers, uh, people who are like f- former volleyball players. So I, 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 when I wrote this book, my hope was, is that it wasn't just a, a book about football or even my football career, which really wasn't, wasn't much of a professional football career. My hope was just to make it more universal where anyone, not just like an athlete could relate to the ups and the downs and the insecurities and so forth. But even somebody who, you know, for their whole life, they, 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 they wanted to be like, like an attorney and they, like, they thought like being a lawyer, then they, they had made it. And now they're, they're not happy with that. They're moving on to something else or, you know, to make it more universal, how we, you know, like, I think, you know, coming back to the whole idea of control, like I think, you know, we think we have like this, this beginning, middle and end, but I was hoping in the story that it, it just, it just doesn't go that way. We have many opportunities to like reinvent ourselves beyond what we think, how our life is supposed to go. Yeah. It's, you know, and honestly, that's kind of what I'm trying to do with these podcasts is figure out what's going to happen in the next 10 years. <laughs> is there anything else you want to share with people that I haven't asked you or anything that, yoga football life lessons no no i i your wife having to deal with the name karen all over the place oh man (laughs) yeah that's been such a uh yeah she's that comes up a lot so i have four kids and so they're all plugged into all this stuff and they remind her about that (laughs) all the time but she she has such a strong personality able to overcome it not strong in a karen way like you said but a karen that kind of karen but like just she's her own karen in a good way <laughs> resilient resilient absolutely very and very determined and very just 
adventurous to, to, to what's next. She does, she, that, you know, she was always really good. Like she's very good being in, being in the present moment. I think that's where I always would struggle. Like when things wouldn't go my way in football, I would spend all this time. Oh, I should have done this, you know, with this team, or I should have called this team and got a trial with them. And she's just like, like, that's, she would always like redirect me to like, that, that doesn't matter. That's over. It's now. And it's like even 20 years later, that's still how she, how she, how she lives her life. She does not spend time at all with the pity parties. So I'm trying to get better at that. <laughs> That's something that everybody could use, I think, to pretty much overall. Okay. We've been talking with Sean Connolly. Wrote a book. It actually is a hardcover book that I have. Um, it's very, it's rare anymore. Most of my books are Kindle books, so I can carry 430,000 of them on my Kindle that I keep buying and, and I never read most of them. I did read yours. For people who got this far, it's a very good book. It's uh, it's very honest. Uh, I it's not a I I think you were mentioned earlier that most you know football player books and stuff like that most of them are glory stories and this really isn't a glory story. It's it's an open honest uh, look and one of the things I thought that was unique about it was. Uh, the perspective of a kicker because nobody likes kickers. Nobody cares about <laughs> only care about kickers if they miss, you know, at this specific time in the game or in Nebraska's case, you know, two years ago, we didn't have any kickers. And suddenly we cared a lot about kickers, but uh, thank you, Sean, for joining me. Yeah. Thank you, John. And uh, good luck with your book. And this has been John's post-life crisis. Thanks for listening and go big red. <laughs>